Welcome to Alem Talks, where we strive to build community, nurture black leadership, and push for leadership excellence in Milwaukee and beyond. Through black leadership, Alem aims to make Milwaukee a global destination where African Americans live, thrive, and prosper. I'm your host, Walter Lanier, President and CEO of Alem, the African American Leadership Alliance of Milwaukee. joining us for this episode, new episode of Alem Talks. I am your host and new president and CEO of Alem, the African American Leadership Alliance Milwaukee, Walter Lanier. This episode is very special to me because my guest is not only a living legend, the phenomenal leader, visionary, and unapologetic advocate for black leadership in Milwaukee, Dr. Jeanette Mitchell, our founder, but also that we get to be here at the table at the same time. In a lot of organizations, there is not a a healthy secession plan. Not only do we have a great secession plan, but we are tag teaming. We are working together to elevate this great organization. But before I bring Dr. Mitchell up, let me also say in the words of the great Sean Carter, a.k.a. Jay-Z, let us please allow us to reintroduce ourselves. ALEM is uh, better known as African American Leadership Alliance of Milwaukee. Is an organization dedicated to developing, supporting, positioning, nurturing, elevating Milwaukee's African-American leaders for success in the boardroom, in the classroom, in the courtroom, all places that black leaders lead in this city. Our desire and our job is to help them to be elevated. We're a nonprofit organization, a network organization of African-American leaders and allies dedicated to developing, supporting, and positioning Milwaukee's pool of African-American talent. Critical to Milwaukee. We know Milwaukee has a lot of challenges uh, unique to our city, but we also know that we are rich in talent, and in particular black talent. And it's my belief, and I know Dr. Mitchell's belief, I don't want to put words in their mouth, she'll say it soon, uh, that for Milwaukee to elevate into its fullest potential, we will have to raise and elevate black leadership. Uh, We work with a dynamic group of allies and uh, like-minded organizations. Our key things that we do as a network organization, we connect, convene, influence and broker solutions, relationships, and strategies. I want to talk a little bit about our vision, and then we will jump right in with Dr. Mitchell. Uh, It's a big and bold vision. Our vision is to make Milwaukee a global destination for African Americans by 2025. As a new president and CEO, I gave myself a little breathing room, Dr. Mitchell, by December 31st, 2025. That gives us about three years and three months to make an impact and to be on the scene regionally, nationally, and globally for our city. So let's jump in a little bit, and uh, if you could share with me, Dr. Mitchell, give me some thoughts just about that big vision. Why do we have such a big vision for this city of Milwaukee? Why have we embraced that? And I think it's very notable to say that you headed the team that developed that vision. <laughs> yes. Walter. So that, that's great. It's important because I don't believe that Milwaukee really can function as a really world-class city until its African-American community and its African-American leaders feel like they can work, play, and live here mm-hmm. successfully. Yeah. And up to this point, we haven't had that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have all the numbers out there that tell us this doesn't happen. But in order for us to move forward, I believe 
that we have all the ingredients to yes. make it happen. Yeah. It's just a matter of us now being willing to just bring that all together. And I think that's what Alem is all about. It is, absolutely. How do we live? How do we work? How do we play? How do we make this a place to live, work, and play as African-American leaders, as black leaders? And you know, it's important that we're centered in Milwaukee because some people are leaving. We know we've got brain drain. We've got white brain drain black brain drain, and so there are those who are understandably going to different places, but we, you, me, Alem, our alumni, our allies, our funders, our team have made a commitment to serving Milwaukee and to making Milwaukee great. Talk a little bit about that. Why? Yeah, you know, it's so funny because, yes, you're right. I talk to young people, and they want to move to Chicago. They want to move to Atlanta. They want to move to all these places, and, you know, my argument to them is, that's great, but there's a lot of black people moving there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And if you look here in Milwaukee, we really have spaces and talent because there are spaces where we're not. Mm -hmm. And so this is an opportunity if you stayed here and just worked the system and really saw some of the advantages and use your talent. Stay here and we can make this work. So, yeah. So we've got this big vision, make Milwaukee a global destination by 2025. I'm committed, and like you said, and we'll talk about that a little bit when we talk about the Alum journey and where that manifests out of a gathering that we had in 2017. But I'm committed to that. I believe we can do it. I believe we have the talent to do it. Uh, we have people in positions to do it. What we haven't had for Milwaukee, though, really, and if you listen to the cry from community, is a vision, is an agenda, is uh, something that articulates what's our target, what are we shooting for, what are we seeking to move. And so that's important to me. I see that as a critical role for us going forward is to establish some vision for the city. Uh, Walter, you know, that's a really, really good point because I really – I really hadn't thought about it like that, but it's really true. Even a vision for this broader community, because we've never really had one that we were working towards, but nor have we had a vision for the black community. And I really, really think that that's important. And if there's, a, you know, and what we can do is make a, the vision that we create should mean that we're going to better Milwaukee. And so that's what we're doing and, and bringing Milwaukee forward. So I just really think that's a brilliant way to look at it. And that's why it's, it's good to have you thinking about that and, and talking about that, because that's what will have to happen for us to become the place that we think we can be. Yeah. And then part of our ability to do that, we're going to talk a little bit about the organization and our history is the dynamic leadership program for a, a long period of time. Uh, this will be our 13th year running the AALP African-American Leadership Program cohort uh, beginning actually this month in October. And so we have uh, around 200 leaders over 13 years that have joined our program, uh, gone through our program, achieved and excelled and had an impact locally, regionally and nationally and quite a few who remain in Milwaukee. And so that is a part of our influence. That is as we engage our network and support our network and nurture our network, a part of our power and so that's, that's dynamic and it's, it's unique and I'm excited to get our network moving into greater places of collective influence. Tell me some thoughts about that. And then uh, after you do that, uh, go ahead and share a little bit about this black leadership excellence journey, because you have been, we have been, but you in particular on a leadership journey of black excellence for a long time here in Milwaukee. Yeah, that that's really, really true. And I just think that even having the conversation, the way you've been framing it, mm-hmm. really makes a difference. 
because we're looking at this as like this is not a new organization since 2017, mm-hmm. which some people will look at it like that. But it really is a journey that has been occurring for this over a decade. And it's t- even more than that when I think back of the number of things that I've been involved in. Right. So it's really good to recognize that this is about black leadership and how we've built it. Mm-hmm. So I'll just talk a little bit about why African-American leadership program. Mm-hmm. Okay. And why that? Actually, I, you know, I'm not going to get into a lot of detail because I tell the story uh, a lot and realize, you know, at the point I am now, it would take a, more than our time that we have on this podcast. <laughs> so yeah. I'm going to just give the highlights. Mm-hmm. All right? So basically, you know, I have been in Milwaukee since um, I was like 18. That's a long time ago. And what I have always cared about is where is the power in Milwaukee? How do we make changes in Milwaukee? And I've done that, and I was doing that myself as a as a leader, you know, getting involved in uh, the Milwaukee School Board, doing uh, programs like uh, Future Milwaukee. But I always was searching for where's the power? How do we shift? You know, and that was what was in my head. And what I was recognizing is that a lot of places where we expect power to be, for example, in the political networks and the aldermen, the, you know, state senators and all that, when I examine or talk with them, so and I realized that they oftentimes didn't have that full vision either. And that some of them were very many cases isolated. Even my time on the school board taught me some of that. You know, being an elected official gives you a whole nother view of what the city should be like. Because I spent most of my career at the uh, telephone company, and, and I laugh because Wisconsin Bell, AT&T, you know, Ameritech, you know, all that. Mm-hmm. So I, but I was there for 30 years. So I watched how corporate America did this, but then I got an opportunity to see how the community Mm-hmm. actually addressed that. And so all of that was like, I kept thinking, we have to do more for black people. So as I got to the point where I left the telephone company, I could retire and start to look at the community. It basically was, it actually came from being on the Milwaukee School Board, where I recognized that there was so much that was happening to our children that we weren't influencing. Mm-hmm. And so how do we then create something that starts to work with children? and start to make this city better for, you know, for our children. So actually, I had the great opportunity to work for the, at that time, the Helen Bader Foundation, which is now Bader Philanthropies. And they were the first one that started to help shape the vision around black leadership. Basically, we did a lot. Uh, Dan Bader, the uh, president there, is very open for trying new things, very committed to this community, as everyone knows and can see. And so as we got into that at, at the foundation, I recognized that this is a way we can shape it. It didn't quite go the way I thought we would shape it because uh, I went back to school, got my doctorate in leadership. This is at Cardinal Stritch University. Can I ask how old you were when you got your doctorate? <laughs> well, let's see. I want to say that for encouragement because we always have time to do some things like that. I was, I was in my 60s. There you go. <laughs> when mm-hmm. I was doing that. Trailblazer. Go ahead. <laughs> so, you know, as I learned about the community more, because that's how I really got deep into the community and knowing all the pieces of the black community was working through the uh, Bader philanthropies. But now I started to look at the whole leadership piece after, you know, doing research in my doctoral program, like how really do people influence, you know? So as I was, we, as we did that, I started creating the opportunities for like, can we do something about that? 
So I thought I was going to sell Dan on starting a leadership uh, mm -hmm. program uh, at the uh, foundation. And he really wasn't interested in doing that at the time. But that's because Cardinal Stritch had come to me and said, could we start teaching the same doc things that we teach in the doctorate program about what is leadership? How do leaders how do leaders become effective? Can we do that? Mm -hmm. And, you know, for the community and that would you come on to lead it? And we'll create a center. And I thought, oh, <laughs> create a center. So I thought, okay, that's one way to do it. So I agreed to come to Cardinal Stritch and to create a center, a leadership center that would, in fact, address leadership. And that was looking at leadership across all sectors. And Dan was nice enough to seed the, the, organiza seed the organization with Cardinal Stritch, uh, mm -hmm. giving matching funds. So it was great. That's how I started looking at leadership. And we did some... I, when I look back, some remarkable things. I mean, we did Latino leadership, Latino nonprofit leadership mm -hmm. program. We did a philanthropy incubator project for five communities. You know, so it was just just really fun to do. But in that time, yeah. we decided. I decided, what would happen if we did an African American leadership program? Because mm -hmm. we did a one for uh, Latino nonprofit leaders. So when we got ready to do, I thought, and we that worked really well. Because about nine uh, people had gone through the what we call the LNLP, were then part of the list of you know the nonprofit leaders that were making a difference in the Latino community. Okay, there was only and the and the tenth one was actually in the program. So, so even thought, before okay, the ALP, you were seeing that people were coming through your program in the leadership center and the developing of leaders were having impact in community. That's right, and it was actually in partnership with uh, Enrique Figueroa at UWM. Mm -hmm. So always doing things in partnership. In partnership, yeah. In partnership. Yeah. So that's how, so that was, and I thought, what would happen if we did this in the black community? So that's how the idea, so I pulled together a group of leaders. Mm -hmm. They told me, don't do a nonprofit leader. There's only, you know, there's only a few of us, yeah. you know, and so why don't we do something cross-sector? Okay. And I thought, oh, okay, cross-sector, because a lot of black people who are in corporate America don't know nonprofit leader, black nonprofit leaders. We don't spend time, you know, in the same places. Not only that, that's also a challenge for the whole city because we're a segregated city. We're a fragmented city. Some of our challenges were rigid in some ways. And so we're siloed and fragmented across sectors. Uh, and uh, uh, so it's good to break down those silos. Right. So that's what we did. And we started it and did that for about, uh, you know, 10, 12 years. Uh, it was quite funny because I can remember the first cohort. Mm hmm I mean, and it was all our friends, mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. particularly Jeanine, Jeanine, Jeanine Edwards, Edwards, who had right. worked with her. It yeah. was all her friends, yeah. you know, and, and it's great because today uh -huh. some of those people still come back and volunteer to do things with us. So this was in 2008. Eight. When did you start the Leadership Center at Cardinal Stretch? Uh, it was 2002. 2002. Oh, see, we should be doing something we haven't done. We should be having a 20-year anniversary <laughs> celebration. <laughs> celebration. No, oh my gosh. <laughs> now, the reason I, I'm saying that joking, but the reason that, that I say it with some seriousness is because one of the things, you know, in this role, I always talk about our leadership journey of, of black excellence. And not only is it that uh, you and we are not new to this, as the some hip-hop artist says, we're true to this, but also there's a depth of rigor in research and evaluation and pursuing leadership, I'm going to call it pedagogy for lack of a better word, leadership disciplines that we're always staying on the cutting edge, always looking at the research to see what it means to lead with excellence, 
to vet to develop leaders with excellence. And that's a very important distinctive about the AALP and the ALUM journey, the black leadership journey that you've been on as you've built team, as you've built stakeholders, as you've you've built allies, has been one that has been very consistent and been around for a long time. There's a stability to what we're doing, the building that you've done. It's not a new thing. Not knocking new things. New things are good, but we have been producing excellence in leadership for a long time. It's really true, and I really thank you for highlighting that because this ALP was built on the tenets from the doctoral program at Cardinal Stretch. So this was not something that was done on its own, you know, that we made this up. It was always, and then the professors at Cardinal Stritch helped us to develop what it should look like, what it should be. We brought the whole cultural piece of it. But uh, uh, we had Dr. Uh, Nancy Blair was very, very key in that. And uh, Dr. Tia Bojar was our dean mm-hmm. who, who agreed that she would, you know, agreed for us to do these kinds of programs. So it, it, we, and, and we had all of the uh, looking at the criteria. We set all that up was out of the doctoral program mm-hmm. on leadership. Yes. So, yes, it's very much research. It's been, you know, studied, looked at. And then what happened, though, in about 2016, mm-hmm. we were doing good, turning out great people. They were get, doing really great things in the community. And, you know, it was kind of interesting because people would come back and they tell us all the things that, they put, you know, what they had done. Someone got promoted. Some got more money. And we never did much about advertising any of that, Mm -hmm. okay? We were just doing the work. Yes. All right? And so when 2017, someone said to me, well, uh, Dr. Mitchell, you're doing all this, you know, creating individual leaders, but what about the system? Ah, there it is. I thought, oh, is it because they go back into these systems and these systems are rough now? Many of them make it through, they make it work. Mm -hmm. But what about the whole community? What about the politics? You know, political. What What about the uh, the lawyers? What about nonprofit leaders that don't get to come? Because Mm -hmm. again, we had uh, one thing I need to say is that we always, always made sure that we had both uh, all the sectors, private. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, with private sector, nonprofit sector, as well as entrepreneurs. Yeah. We purposely make sure. So it's not all corporate. Right. We want to make sure of that. But uh, so when they said, when he said that, I thought, wow, uh, okay, what can we do about that? Mm-hmm. So that's when we started to talk about the SAS. Yes. And the idea behind that was let's bring together people mm-hmm. to talk about this question. Yeah. And let's see if we can make this really work because we had been doing little things, you know, little committees, groups to do things. But what if we built something that could sustain Mm -hmm. African-American leadership? That's huge. And so grateful for that. I I remember when I received the invite from Janine, who you mentioned earlier, Janine Edwards, P3 Development. And um, and she said three days on your calendar to do a thing, brainstorming, SWATs. And I really was not going to do it. It's very ironic because uh, uh, I heard from somebody the other day. uh, Who was this? It's not his quote, but he gave it to me. Guy Bolton, who's a a journalist, uh, writer for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. He said, Milwaukee is a place where two-year strategic plans go to die. Or something like that. The bones are littered with (laughs) two-year. The streets are littered with two-year strategic plans, the bones of them. And so I said to myself, oh, Lord, not another meeting, not another convening, not another strategic planning session that that goes nowhere. But because of relationship, 
And because I had a depth of relationship with her and I trusted Janine, I said, I'm going to do it because I believe in her. And that's important because for a couple of reasons, one, we're a very relational city and relationships are very important. And, and that's how we'll grow together. And so it was powerful, the SAS that Dr. Mitchell is talking about. I participated uh, for three days. There were like 80, 81 primarily black leaders and some allies very dynamic. We covered some everything, SWAT, strengths, weaknesses, looked at data, fishbowl experiences, shared authentically. Some people prayed, some people cried. Uh, we really had a chance to do an experience together, whiteboarded a whole bunch of things. It was very dynamic. And then we got to the end of that three-day period and said, okay, now we've done all of this, right? Let's not do what we have a reputation for doing. We all know about it and just meet Kumbaya and going our merry way. We said, what will we do next? And so share a little bit about that. Yes, because very honestly, it was uh, the idea that it was a strategic actioning session was yes. what, what attracted me with Leslie Marquardt, you mm-hmm. know, and, and so when we finished it, yeah, what we're going to do, because we were addressing the question is how do you build and sustain African-American leadership in Milwaukee? That was, mm-hmm. you know, that was the question we were dealing with. And after that, we had to say, okay, what came out of it is that we sh- should build an organization. Mm-hmm. And now we didn't know whether it would be a nonprofit, be a for-profit, what would it be? And so what we realized is that we put together a small group that would look at planning mm-hmm. what it should look like. Yes. All right. And that included people like the you know, Janine Edwards, Ron Adams, and, you know, people who have been involved in AOP for a long time. And we kind of put that all together, Margaret Arney. And so it was just a group that we kind of put together and said, okay, let's start putting this. And people who had been in that session, you mm-hmm. know, they become, they actually became part of coming to meetings that we had. We'd ask questions. We would set up various kinds of things. We had what we call circles mm-hmm. that we thought we were going to be working with. And we created what we call a hub, which would be a a small leadership group would be the board and maybe two or three kind of employees. We did not want to build another, you know, large nonprofit. What we wanted to do was to build something that would connect the organizations that were out there doing the work because they, I mean, that's really, I mean, it wasn't like our community didn't have work being done, but as you said, oftentimes they were siloed. Mm -hmm. There was no place that was someplace they could bring people together. So that was the idea for, for, for Alem. And we did become a nonprofit, got our 501c3 mm-hmm. and, you know, actually created a board. We have mm-hmm. a board. And so it was important as far as we were concerned is to be a legitimate organization. So we had funders who we asked, would you be willing to kind of, you know, run, run with us for mm-hmm. the next three to five years, yeah. but give us come undergirding mm-hmm. so that we can develop this because a one year grant would not do this. Right. And so we had, we had uh, funders who said, yes, we'll step to the table. Mm-hmm. We will do this. And so that three to five years, and we are still kind of in that because COVID kind of messed up some of our sure. <laughs> time. Yeah. So that was in 2017. Mm-hmm. And so that shifted. Yeah. COVID shifted it for everybody. W- what was exciting for me about that is a couple things. I'd always heard about the AALP. So at that point, in time that would have been 2016 17 what is it it's like nine years ish am I doing my math right so that would have been close to like 150 leaders that had already come through AALP so you're already doing dynamic leadership black leadership excellence already and had already uh, produced supported directed nurtured collaborated elevated a lot of black leaders so you already had that history so it was not starting from scratch but it was from a long 
history of black leadership excellence. It's really important because we have that not only with our organization, but other organizations. There's black leadership excellence all over the city. However, it's fragmented and siloed. This is an opportunity for us to come together. And then I was fortunate to be on the vision team back in 2017. And so fortuitous, uh, divine that five years later, I end up in the president and CEO seat. And I remember that bold vision. We said, what does bold look like? You remember, uh, I don't know if I ever showed it to you. I have to bring it to the office one day. The notebook that I had that I found from 2017, where it says, make Milwaukee a global destination by 2025. Because we had that type of energy and people mm-hmm. in the room. And when we work together, when the talent comes together, there's some magic that happens. Mm-hmm. And so that brings us forward. And we fast forward about five years. And mm-hmm. I've been here for six months. Mm-hmm. And so the AALP, the leadership development component mm-hmm. of uh, ALM is doing well. As we said, we're in our 13th cohort. And now we're looking towards 2023. The organization is dynamic. It's got almost 200 alumni, 80 people, 80 plus people who helped us with the SAS. You know, I call them my 300, 300 strong, you know, giving ode to that, that movie, the 300. But we really have a powerful network and the strength is, is in the network of the organization. As we look to move forward in this past year, we've been looking at a, several areas of strategic focus. One in particular I lift up right now. Is one about narrative change. I just want to share this for the listeners because one of our challenges for our city is that the, we have the reality, some very negative statistics, and they're real. We commissioned an African-American Wellness Index study back in 2020 from Dr. Mark Levine, University of uh, Wisconsin-Milwaukee Center for Economic Development, and he surveyed, uh, researched 50 metropolitan cities, And found like 33 different data points to see and talk about African-American wellness, income, poverty, housing, health disparities. And we ended up, unfortunately, on the bottom of the list with some other deindustrialized, some other Rust Belt cities as well, in part because of deindustrialization, in part because of systemic racism. So that's the reality. But at the same time, we know that we have the potential to be great. And so one of that strategies is about narrative change. How do we talk about Milwaukee in an honest way, but not from all of our deficits? Because one of the things that happened, we had somebody we work with the Frameworks Institute do an audit of messaging, messaging, messaging in Milwaukee media, messaging that we're putting out in national media. And one of the vacuums is people talk about Milwaukee's negativity, but seldom talk about what is the vision. What are the root causes? And so what are your thoughts about a little bit before about the lack of vision for Milwaukee? Yeah, you know, again, I think that's really important. And one of the things that really that I think you've done very well, Walter, is to talk about excellence. We're just not talking about doing this. We're talking about doing this in excellence, which is very, very important. It's an important key because people who see and are treated in excellent ways rise to that and rise to more. And that's where our city has to go. And one of the key things to do with that is to start with what does that look like? Yes. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we're saying. If we want to be a global destination by 2025, mm-hmm. then obviously we must be excellent because everybody want to come here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so, you know, really keeping that idea of excellence in leadership and keeping the idea of, you know, excellence and also keeping our vision in mind, all of that, I think that's really important. And I think that's what you've stressed. Mm-hmm. It is. And, it, and it's what 
it's interesting that that you say that you and I have had some conversations about organizational cultures that don't pursue excellence. I think part of that has to do actually with segregation and cultures that perpetuate implicitly or explicitly. Once upon a time, it was explicit. No black folks <laughs> can live here, right? right? Now it's subtler, but it's still mm-hmm. here because we've not banged against that and changed that. But in those cultures, what happens is is it creates a level of mediocrity. And then it, it creates a, a thing where people won't pursue excellence they pursue just enough or they pursue uh, compliance, uh, but never knowing what excellence looks like. And if you don't know what excellence looks like, how to pursue excellence, how to hold one another accountable. That's another thing that our framework study talked about, this lack of willingness that we have in our, our city to talk about race honestly, with depth, pressing through discomfort. I was talking with somebody the other day. UW, I'm not a provost, I think. And he was talking about in the South. He said, in the South, we have racial issues too, but we talk about them. And he said, when we come up here, when I come up here to the North, it's strange. People are so uncomfortable talking about race. But I know from my professional experience as a lawyer, I know from being a, a basketball player, if we don't hold one another accountable, our organization or our city will never be excellent. So if we don't have the tough, honest conversations, then we can never rise to a championship level. There's no championship, I'll say basketball, baseball, football team or city that's excellent if they don't deal with the tough stuff and say, these are our issues. Let's sit down at the table together and agree, disagree, chop it up until we get to the place of solutions. Yeah, you know, I really think that's what we were doing in the SAS. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, some of the things that, you know, some of our allies, you know, didn't even realize that were in happening for us in this community as black people. Mm-hmm. So I just think that's really important. But the other thing about excellence is that one of the things we do in AALP, uh, that we have a, a little saying said, releasing mediocrity mm. and embracing excellence. Yeah. And so that is kind of what we start with. And that is kind of what we kind of lead with. And we try to treat them in that very same manner. Releasing mediocrity and embracing excellence. I, I love that. That's how I was raised. My father, you know, was a professional basketball player, and so that's a deeply embedded part of who I am. He's NBA Hall of Famer, Bob Lanier. May he rest in peace. But that competitive sports is really actually helpful for that because it pushes you towards a couple of things, teamworks and, and excellence and always aspiring higher to get better and better. So I, I appreciate that. The other thing I wanted to go back to, though, in a moment of transparency for me, you mentioned that SAS and allies who sincerely did not know, I'll say what I thought they really knew. I'm just going to be candid. I used to, I have often thought, well, how can you not know? You, you've got it. You're being willfully ignorant over there. You're pretending like you don't know. But you, how do you not know? It's right here in front of your face. But sitting down. With some people, I'm going to lift up a name. I'm going to lift up Tim Sheehy, president of the MMAC. And I know for him, he said it was incredibly educational. He was there all those days, and he talked about it being transformational, and he shared what he learned and, you know, a piece of what he did. They were already in motion, but that helped to form their region of choice initiative with some of what happened in that space. And so for me, that was actually encouraging because I, from my black self, where I come from, (laughs) 
you know, the way I see the world, I just said, no, you all are just acting. I'm speaking broadly, but I'm being honest, like you don't know. But to find out that actually people were lacking some knowledge, which makes sense in a segregated city, because the best way to learn is relationally. When you have relationship, if it's authentic relationship over time, it breaks down and you learn one another. And so that was that was encouraging for me. That gave me more hope. Not that I was hopeless, but it just gave me more hope if we can educate one another better and then establish that common agenda. We can move this talent forward and make a difference in the city. And I, and I still believe that. And, 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 and I'm really grateful, very honestly grateful and excited that you are our leader mm-hmm. to make that happen. Like I said, every time you use the word excellence, I thought he got this. <laughs> and, and as you gave us the explanation of what it is to you, mm-hmm. and that's what you have to have. If you have to embrace what I know about Alem and, and the work that I've done in black leadership is that you got to love black people. Yeah. And and and, and sometimes that's hard, yeah. you know. But that's what you do. Mm-hmm. And and but we know the excellence that's in our community, mm-hmm. and it's very very important that we call each other to that. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what you brought to to Adam. Yeah. Well, thank you. And, and and brought to it and brought up out of it, you know. So thank you. And 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 right back at you, <laughs> because some of it I brought to, but some of it is also me listening and discerning for what's already there. And so there's a richness of excellence in uh, Alem. There's a, a richness of uh, black love in Alem. Uh, there's a richness of support in creating space for talent to emerge. I say that in particular is something that you, we, we share quite a bit of uh, commonalities is creating space for talent to emerge. That's yeah. never an easy thing, but particularly black talent in the city uh, that for a little while longer, not much longer, is the worst place to be black in the nation. We, 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 we're going to work on that one first. As a matter of fact, I'm looking at my three-year goals. We're going to work on that. We're not going to be on that bottom list. Two years from now, we won't be there. Won't happen. Um, can't happen. We have too many people in place, too much talent in the city for us not to, to emerge. But, again, to do that in this city is particularly unique. And as we do it well, not only will we benefit this community, our supporters, our funders, our collaborative partners, but we'll be able to share and be a light for how others can do it as well. I'm really excited about that. Yep, me too. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I think we have covered plenty of ground in our session. It is a great blessing, everybody, to be here with the awesome and inspiring and dynamic Dr. Jeanette Mitchell. And it is, again, I want to say this, a blessing to be able to do this together because that's another leadership principle of excellence is how does one leader transition to another leader and we have the great blessing to be able to do this together this is really exciting for me we're going to get it done thank you thank you for listening to alum talks where we build community through black leadership excellence visit our website and sign up for our newsletter to stay current with events new podcast episodes, and our latest research on black leadership excellence in Milwaukee. The link is in the show notes. Hashtag MKE 2025.